Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, July 6, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News. The Supreme Court's decision in the LGBTQ plus 303 creative case by Kate Sosin, July 6, 2023. The Supreme Court ruled 6 to 3 Friday, June 30, that Colorado could not force website designer Lori Smith to serve LGBTQ plus couples seeking wedding websites. The ruling in 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis has massive implications for LGBTQ plus anti-discrimination protections and other civil rights laws. As legal experts say, those policies are now vulnerable to reinterpretation by courts. Just, Justice Neil Gorsuch, a fourth-generation Coloradan from Denver, wrote for the court's conservative majority with Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson dissenting. The justices ruled that the First Amendment shielded business owners from speaking against their conscience. Smith claimed that it was a violation of her religious beliefs to make wedding websites for same-sex couples. Quote, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views, but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance, unquote, wrote Gorsuch. In her dissent, Sotomayor called the majority's interpretation of the First Amendment, quote, profoundly wrong, unquote. Quote, today, the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class, unquote, Sotomayor wrote. LGBTQ plus legal experts said the ruling does not grant businesses a widespread license to turn away LGBTQ plus couples. Instead, it creates a carve out for business owners creating and selling art to reject specific commissions against their conscience. Jenny Pizer, chief legal officer at Lambda Legal, the nation's largest LGBTQ plus legal group, said that in this case, the court viewed Smith as a fine artist similar to an oil painter. A sketch artist working at a popular pier likely would not be included in the carve out. LGBTQ plus advocates say the ruling, while limited, 
marks a significant loss of anti-discrimination protection and will invite further eroding of civil rights law. Quote, the litigant aiming to blow a big hole in civil rights law has prevailed, and she's prevailed with a very narrow win, unlikely to have anything like the results that she was seeking, Pfizer, Pfizer said. But nonetheless, this extreme reactionary court majority predictably is handing victory to the litigant who was seeking to damage civil rights laws to obtain a license to discriminate, unquote. David Johns, executive director of the LGBTQ plus advocacy group, the National Black Justice Coalition, said in a statement Friday that the ruling greenlights religious discrimination. Quote, it is important to recognize that this decision not only affects the LGBTQ plus community, but also has far reaching implications for the broader civil rights of all marginalized communities that have dealt with our country's long history of prejudice and inequity, unquote, John said. What was the case all about? Smith sued the state, claiming that its Anti-Discrimination Act forces her to make art, in this case, wedding websites for queer couples, that is contrary to her religious beliefs. Smith wants to post a notice on the webpage of her business, 303 Creative, noting that she won't design websites for same-sex marriages. She claimed it is her First Amendment right to turn same-sex couples away because she is making custom websites and the government can't force her what to say. The Colorado Civil Rights Division argued that businesses serving the public can't choose to deny service to a group of people who are part of a protected class, including LGBTQ plus couples, and that Smith needed to serve all customers, regardless of their sexual orientation. Who is Elenis? Unlike similar cases that predate one, this one, there wasn't a same-sex couple suing the business for discrimination. Elenis, in the case, is Aubrey Elenis, director of the Colorado Civil Rights Division, who was sued in her professional capacity and listed first. Members of the Civil Rights Commission were also named in the complaint, as was State Attorney General Phil Weiser. The commissioners are tasked with enforcing Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act, which says that a person cannot be treated differently because of sexual orientation or gender identity. The fact that there wasn't a couple alleging discrimination is part of what made this case so unique. Instead, Smith sued because she wanted to advertise that she wouldn't make wedding websites for same-sex couples. In some ways, that thrust the case into the realm of hypotheticals, since no one had been turned away from her business. Who was really facing off here? As with a lot of big cases, this was not just about a disagreement between a small website business in Colorado and the state. Smith was represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, a far-right legal organization that has brought similar cases. Some advocates, including the Southern Poverty Law Center, have designated an ADF an extremist anti-LGBTQ plus hate group. 
Others who filed briefs in support of Smith included the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and the National Association of Evangelicals. Colorado was represented by Weiser. Others who have filed amicus briefs supporting the State Commission included the American Bar Association, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, and the American Civil Liberties Union. Didn't the court already decide this five years ago in a case about cake? In some ways, in 2018, the Supreme Court took up a similar case, Masterpiece Cake Shop Limited versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and very narrowly ruled in favor of the baker, Jack Phillips, who refused to make a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins. Phillips was also represented by ADF. In that case, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had ruled that Phillips violated the state's Anti-Discrimination Act by turning the gay couple away. Phillips' lawyers argued that his religious beliefs and free speech rights shielded him from having to bake the cake. While the case could have had a profound and lasting impact on civil rights law, the Supreme Court declined to fully engage with larger legal questions. Instead, the court ruled that the Colorado commissioners had displayed animus towards Phillips due to his religious beliefs. They ruled in Phillips' favor, but shied away from a sweeping ruling on religious beliefs or free speech rights that would have impacted other businesses in Colorado or beyond. What is different now? Ever since the masterpiece cake, courts have seen a number of cases that seek to revisit the enforceability of state and local anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus people. Religiously affiliated anti-LGBTQ plus legal organizations have argued that officials can't force business owners to endorse same-sex weddings against their faith. Some legal experts have expressed that Smith's case was particularly tricky because her services include writing stories for each engaged couple instead of just selling templates. Those stories, Smith and her attorneys say, are art. What was the argument in favor of 303 Creative? In arguing Smith's case, the attorneys at the ADF claimed that if Smith was forced to provide wedding websites to same-sex couples, any working artist would lose the right to control their commissions. One example attorneys raised was a Democratic speechwriter being forced to write speeches for a Republican candidate. Attorneys said Smith would be happy to provide non-wedding websites to LGBTQ plus people, but she isn't willing to create custom wedding narratives for same-sex couples who want to marry. What was the argument against 303 Creative? Lawyers for the state and LGBTQ plus legal organizations countered that under the criteria presented by Smith, it would have been nearly impossible to differentiate between what is art and what is a public accommodation or service. More than that, they added, political parties are not protected classes. Business owners can choose not to take commissions because they don't agree with a political candidate. Quote, if somebody looks at a wedding website or receives a wedding invitation, 
whose information do they think it is? Unquote, asked Pizer with Lambda Legal. Quote, do they really think that it's the information of the person who created the website or did the design? It's a work for hire by people who have information to distribute. Unquote. Why is this such a big deal? Olivia Hunt, policy director for the National Center for Transgender Equality, said the ruling could impact protected groups for generations to come. Quote, it would potentially carve out a new and really dangerous loophole in civil rights protections, not just for LGBTQ people, but it could potentially create a precedent that would weaken civil rights protections for all people on any basis, unquote, she said. This article was originally published on the 19th. News Circular Logic by Sage Kelly July 6, 2023. Chris Kraft calls his 34-year-old dairy farm operating in Fort Morgan the, quote, ultimate recycling program, unquote. The formula, he says, is simple. Cow manure is used to fertilize crops, which then feed the cows. Kraft says it's been working for, quote, millennia, unquote. But environmental groups beg to differ, claiming farms like Kraft's pollute waterways. And on May 22, a Colorado court agreed, ruling that the state's Department of Public Health and Environment, CDPHE, violated both state and federal laws by failing to monitor water quality at large animal operations, raising hogs, poultry, and cattle. Quote, the factory farming industry has become very used to operating with a certain level of impunity that no other industry has enjoyed in our lifetimes, unquote, says Tyler Lobdell, staff attorney with D.C.-based Food and Water Watch, a plaintiff in the case, along with the Center for Biological Diversity. Quote, there's very strong resistance to relinquishing that impunity, and Colorado is a great example of that. Unquote. Per the general operating permit that governs more than 100 such facilities around the state, concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFO, in Colorado are not required to provide water testing and proof of compliance, but are instead directed to, quote, eliminate, unquote, pollution entirely. Lubdell calls it, quote, circular logic, unquote. Quote, these CAFO permits don't allow the discharge of pollutants at all, Lobdell says. Because of that wording, there's been this idea that you don't need monitoring, unquote. Kraft disagrees, pointing to the regulations already in place. Quote, you already have to impound everything that touches manure on the farm, he says. You have to control it. The state checks this regularly. We have to account for all of the ways that goes into the impoundment and all of the ways that goes out. That is monitoring. You're already doing it, unquote. At odds, a statement from, the, from CDPHE's Water Quality Control Division called Colorado's CAFO permitting requirements, quote, some of the most stringent in the nation, unquote. Code of Colorado Water Control Regulation 81, last updated in 2017, says, quote, 
There shall be no discharge of manure or wastewater from the production areas to waters of the U.S. without a discharge permit, unquote. But it doesn't include requirements for monitoring wastewater. Administrative Judge Matthew Norwood ruled that the Federal Clean Water Act demands tighter monitoring of so-called, quote, point sources, unquote, like CAFOs, putting Colorado at odds with national law. CDPHE plans to appeal the ruling, quote, there's an underregulation in this industry, despite the fact that it has a significant footprint, unquote, says Hannah Connor, an attorney at the Arizona-based Center for Biological Diversity. Quote, there's an effort to improve water quality throughout the country by improving what these permits are supposed to be, unquote. Similar rulings were made in Idaho and Washington in 2021. Responding to a petition from Food and Water Watch and 10 other organizations earlier this year, the Environmental Protection Agency said it will be launching a study on the effects large animal farming has on waterways. Quote, Our challenge to Colorado's permit was to call out that there is no monitoring whatsoever, Lobdell says. Overall, the objective is to hold these facilities accountable, so places like the state of Colorado, the general public, and organizations like Food and Water Watch can determine whether or not a facility is compliant, unquote. Par for the course. The ruling has put the livestock industry on edge. Zach Riley, CEO of the Colorado Livestock Association, says new requirements for water monitoring will put financial stress on smaller operations. He estimates the cost of groundwater testing could rise high into five figures if it requires drilling near waste storage impounds. Quote, it's a costly and difficult thing to employ, Riley says. It's just another way to compromise these feeding operations, unquote. Kraft says farms, more than 90% of which are still family-owned and operated, according to Census of Agriculture data, already have an incentive to prevent pollution from seeping into water sources. Quote, This is land the families have had for generations, Kraft says. Many families are drinking that groundwater at their farms. The, their kids are drinking that water. Their animals are. So they have as much desire to do the right thing as anybody else, unquote. Lobdell says water testing costs are par for the course within the terms of the Federal Clean Water Act. Regarding whether state or federal funding would help pay for testing, Lobdell says, quote, this should not be on the taxpayer. It's the CAFO's responsibility, unquote. There is currently no requirement for the state to help fund testing obligations. Quote, These requirements for monitoring are how this permitting regime works for every other industry, Lobdell says. The generation of public reports of discharge is the primary device that creates accountability within the permitting structure. Without that, there's no way to tell if a facility has met the various pollution limits that the permit lays out. Unquote. A catch-22. Both CDPHE and the Colorado Livestock Association say the ruling in this case is questionable, 
due to a lack of data. Environmental groups can't prevent ev- can't present evidence, Lobdell says, because there is no requirement for monitoring. Quote, it's a catch-22, he says. They are asking us to come to the table with the exact information that we claim the state has been failing to collect, unquote. Riley says that in 2022, the Colorado Livestock Association convened with CDPHE to reformat the permit to include a regulation around sewage discharge, but their attempts at finding middle ground were unsuccessful. Over, quote, over 95% of the membership in this organization are all owned by single-family owner-operators, Riley says. These are good families that are now saying, we did the best that money can buy, and now we have to come up with more, unquote. Kraft wonders if the lawsuit will put more strain on the relationships between farmers and environmental advocacy organizations. Quote, it's not an irrelevant question overall to ask if we are doing things right, he says. But the way environmental groups chose to solve that problem was to take it to court and challenge the rules. Ask the question, but ask it in a different forum. When you take it to court, it creates an adversarial relationship, unquote. Quote, at the end of the day, Kraft says, we'll do what people say we should, whatever the public thinks we should do. But it's just another bite out of the hand that feeds you, unquote. Lobdell says litigation was the only way forward. Quote, it has certainly been my experience in states throughout the country that this industry is exceptionally unwilling to yield to common sense regulation, he says. So while I wish that more direct dialogue were a viable option, I simply have not seen that play out productively anywhere else, unquote. Opinion. The Anderson Files, Anti-LGBTQ Terror, Corporate Hypocrites, Militant Workers, by Dave Anderson, July 6, 2023. Several years ago, corporate America began to celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month with rainbow pattern merchandise and participation in parades. Ryan Cooper, writing in The American Prospect, notes, quote, it left a bad taste in the mouth of many LGBTQ folks. Here was a tradition founded by downtrodden activists who struggled for decades for dignity and respect when it was quite dangerous to be openly gay or trans. Now it was being colonized by money-grubbing corporations trying to make an easy buck through a gesture at allyship." Unquote. Today, a frenzied and increasingly fascist right wing is ruthlessly attacking corporations who have pride displays, products, and advertising. Companies like Target, Walmart, and Cracker Barrel are now dealing with boycotts, bomb threats, and vandalism. Their employees are being attacked. Bud Light had a small sponsorship deal with trans influencer and actress Dylan Mulvaney. After an avalanche of rage, parent company Anheuser-Busch released what Vox writer Emily Stewart called a, quote, quite tepid statement, unquote. They didn't bother to reach out to a terrorized Mulvaney who claims she didn't leave her house for months. 
The right-wing intimidation has been somewhat successful, but it's too early to tell. Still, the stakes are high. Human Rights Campaign, HRC, America's leading LGBTQ advocacy group, has declared a state of emergency for the first time in its 43-year history. HRC cites, quote, a steady increase in anti-LGBTQ bills introduced in state legislatures over the last several years, from 115 bills introduced in 2015 to more than 500 in 2023. This year, more than 75 bills have been signed into law, more than doubling last year's number, unquote. A new report says there have been more than 350 anti-LGBTQ, quote, hate and extremism, extremism incidents, unquote, in the United States from June 2022 through April 2023. There were 305 occurrences of harassment, 40 episodes of vandalism, and 11 assaults. Undoubtedly, this is an undercount, since many people don't report their experiences. The incidents were documented across 46 states in the District of Columbia. They also included the mass murder at Club Q, the LGBTQ club in Colorado Springs. The report was a joint effort by the Anti-Defamation League and GLAAD, a gay advocacy group. The largest number of incidents targeting drag events and performers. Other common targets were schools and educators, healthcare facilities and providers, and government buildings and officials. Almost half of the anti-LGBTQ events involved people associated with far-right groups like the Proud Boys or neo-Nazi organizations. There was important overlap with other forms of bigotry. Anti-Semitism was a factor in 128 incidents, while racism played a role in some 30 occurrences. Sarah Moore, an an analyst of anti-LGBTQ extremism for both the Anti-Defamation League and GLAAD told the New York Times she thought it was significant that half of the incidents weren't connected to any far-right group. She says that indicates how much anti-LGBTQ sentiment is, quote, being mainstreamed in society and being picked on, picked up on, by local church groups, local parents' rights groups, whatever might be the local grassroots movement for the Republican Party, unquote. The most commonly cited trope in the incidents involved accusations of pedophilia and, quote, grooming, unquote, by transgender people. These slurs have been used against gays, gays for decades. Today, politicians and figures in right-wing media are regularly spreading these accusations without any facts or evidence. Denver's Channel 9 reported that the Colorado Republican Party sent an email to supporters which included an image where the words Pride Month combine into demon, and they accused LGBTQ people and Democrats of trying to normalize pedophilia. On June 30, the Washington Post reported that, quote, many prominent Republicans have expressed criticism of Pride Month celebrations and in some case, cases resurfaced opposition to same-sex marriage, unquote. Meanwhile, Starbucks workers have entered the fray. 
the coffeehouse company proudly claims to support LGBTQ rights. However, Starbucks Workers United, SBU, says pride flags and decorations have been taken down at many stores around the country. In June, they conducted rolling one-day strikes to protest. More than 300 stores are unionized. Workers face issues such as short staffing, unpredictable schedules, low wages, and unaffordable health care. Trans employees were told their gender-affirming care would be withheld if they unionized. Recently, Starbucks lost 16 of 17 cases decided by the National Labor Relations Board. The violations included worker intimidation, discriminatory rules, and unlawful discipline and termination of union organizers. If we want to beat the fascist bullies, we need, to, we need fighting unions like SBU. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Opinion. Letters. July 6, 2023 by readers like you. Mesa seeks volunteers. Moving to End Sexual Assault, Mesa, M-E-S-A, a program of mental health partners, has served the Boulder County community for over 50 years as a cornerstone of support for sexual assault survivors. To help accomplish this vital work, we are grateful to our passionate volunteers who are committed to helping survivors. Currently, Mesa is seeking community members to volunteer as a hotline advocate. Advocates provide critical emotional support to survivors via our hotline and text line and may accompany survivors to hospitals and police departments. If you or someone you know have a passion for supporting survivors of sexual violence and are willing and able to attend our 40-hour training, then we invite you to apply to be a hotline volunteer advocate at movingtoendsexualassault.org slash volunteer slash hashtag hotline. From Aaron Devitt, Moving to End Sexual Assault, Mesa. Lab-grown meat equals animal welfare. Any politician who, cares, who claims to care about animal welfare should support increased federal funding for cultivated meat research. For those who aren't familiar with the term, cultivated meat is grown from livestock cells without slaughter. It has the potential to relegate so much non-human suffering to a less enlightened past. We kill more than a trillion aquatic and land animals for food every year. Numbers that large are almost impossible to comprehend. For a little perspective, only about 117 billion humans have ever lived, according to the Population Reference Bureau. While cultivated meat was recently approved for sale in America, Increased public money for cellular agricultural development will help the product achieve price parity with slaughtered meat. This is crucial for widespread acceptance of humane alternatives. Compassionate legislators should support the effort. From John Huckshartner, Granby, Connecticut. Entertainment, music, hearing history, 
Chautauqua celebrates 125 years of music at Boulder's iconic Hall on the Hill by John Lendorf, July 6, 2023. You can't walk into Chautauqua Auditorium without feeling the grand sweep of history thrumming within its walls, according to local musician Nick Forster. Quote, just seeing the wooden bones of the hall and the daylight coming in through the sides reminds you of all the people who've played at Chautauqua and attended events here for over a century and a quarter, unquote, he says. A diverse who's who of speakers, preachers, dancers, and musicians from William Jennings Bryan to Lyle Lovett have stepped onto that stage. Forster himself has been a recurring performer at the auditorium, since the 1970s, initially as a member of the Boulder band Hot Rise, opening shows for bluegrass legends John Hartford, Bill Monroe, and Ralph Stanley. Hot Rise started headlining annual shows in there in the 1980s. Forster may be best known as the co-founder and host of the nationally distributed E-Town radio show, which has been taped in Boulder since 1991. His shows at Chautauqua over the years have included artists like Earl Scruggs, Doc Watson, Joan Baez, and more. <clears throat> Quote, I was always proud to do shows here, knowing that our guests would feel part of the shared history that Chautauqua embodies, unquote, he says. That legacy began on July 4, 1898, when 13,000 attendees came to Boulder for the grand opening of Chautauqua Auditorium. Early performers in the space ranged from magicians, jugglers, and animal acts to cultural institutions like the Kansas City Orchestra, opera and folk singers, African-American a cappella vocalists, and more. The anniversary will be celebrated July 8 with a day-long festival at Chautauqua Park, featuring local food vendors and outdoor live music by Dead Floyd, Banshee Tree, Chain Station, and more, capped off with a ticketed auditorium concert that evening with Los Lobos and Ozomatli. The 125th birthday gathering is the first time a large free summer event has been held on the site in decades. Back from the Dead Chautauqua Auditorium and other adjacent historic structures may be revered now as icons, but in the 1970s they had fallen into disrepair. The city of Boulder once actually considered tearing them down to put up a resort and convention center with a grand flat irons view. Quote, for close to 30 years before all that happened at the auditorium, every year there were a few movies and an annual barbershop quartet concert, unquote, says Kate Gerard, a Boulder native and Chautauqua's resident archivist. A major community effort to landmark and preserve the property was undertaken, but the single biggest thing that saved Chautauqua from the wrecking ball was the sound of music in the resonant wooden hall, she says. In 1978, the Colorado Music Festival, returning this summer with violinist and artist-in-residence Joshua Bell, started performing orchestral and chamber works in concerts that brought thousands of locals to the auditorium for the first time. Then, Gerard says, 
a series of primarily acoustic shows by international artists introduced the venue to many more concertgoers. Funds to rebuild the hall started flowing, and along with community support, preserved the remarkable cultural institution. Boulder may have still been somewhat rural in 1898, but when Chautauqua opened, it was a technological wonder. Quote, the auditorium was constructed with electric wiring in place for lighting and to showcase a new form of entertainment, motion pictures, unquote, Gerard says. Quote, some of the very earliest movies shown in Colorado were screened there, unquote. Since 1986, Chautauqua has continued the tradition with silent film festival screenings featuring live musical accompaniment. And besides the parade of national acts, the auditorium has been the bolder venue where locally launched bands have found the spotlight, ranging from leftover Salmon, the Takax Quartet, and Dead Kennedy's frontman Jello Biafra to the Wood Brothers, who played a sold-out show on the hallowed local stage in 2022. Quote, Oliver and Chris Wood were born and raised here, but they didn't find music success until after they left Boulder, unquote, says Danny Cohen, Chautauqua's general manager and a longtime fan of the band, ahead of the duo's slated return to the auditorium on July 22. Quote, they finally found themselves on this stage in their hometown, a place where they had seen events but never performed. They were so happy. They were freaking out. That was really special, unquote. A sacred space. As it has been for multiple generations of Boulder residents, Forster's connection to Chautauqua runs deep. He and his wife, E-Town producer Helen Forster, were married at Chautauqua Community House. His daughters worked at the dining hall back when it was only open in the summertime. Thanks to efforts spearheaded by Forster, a tribute to his late friend and hot-rise guitarist Charles Sautel is installed outside the auditorium's north end. A bench is inscribed with a pithy Sautel saying, quote, Never turn anything all the way up, unquote, with oversized bronze guitar flat picks embedded in the concrete base. Quote, I had brunch there with my family last week, and I went to see Mary Chapin Carpenter, Forster says. I was running across the green with our youngest granddaughter and playing on the swings, just like I did with her mom, unquote. For Forster and others whose lives have been touched by this Boulder institution over the last century plus, it all adds up to something much greater than the sum of its parts. Quote, Chautauqua is more than just a concert hall or a restaurant, he says. It's, just, it's a touchstone for me, a sacred space, unquote. On the bill, Chautauqua 125th Birthday Bash, 1 to 6 p.m., Saturday, July 8, Chautauqua Park, 900 Baseline Road and 9th Street. You can find more information online at www.chautauqua, that's C-H-A-U-T-A-U-Q-U-A dot com slash 125-birthday-bash, B-A-S-H. Entertainment, stage, 
A Story of Our Time. World Premier Workshop Shares Personal Reflections on the Climate Crisis by Tony Tresca, July 6, 2023. When visiting Professor Emily K. Harrison's students at the Southern Liberal Arts College of Suwannee in Tennessee suggested producing a play about climate change, she was initially hesitant. Quote, that idea filled me with dread. I was like, uh, nobody wants to hear us talk about that, unquote, she says of her spring 2022 devised theater students request to tackle the climate crisis on stage, quote, but they were really passionate about the topic. And I became really interested in making this with my students because their lives will be so much harder if people don't wake up to the severity of the moment, unquote. Following this initial collaboration at Swanee, Harrison put together a team of multi-generational artists from across the country to produce the world premiere of Things We Will Miss, Meditations on the Climate Crisis, through her Boulder-based award-winning company, Square Product Theater. The collage-style work is a non-linear exploration of the performer's personal reflections on living amid worsening climate change. Through a collection of personal vignettes, Things We Will Miss invites viewers to consider what will be remembered as the world we know disappears. Quote, It's postmodern at times and realistic at others, Harrison says. We are sharing incredibly intimate stories, but there is no plot, just our reflections on the climate crisis, the mess we are in, and what options we have left. The climate crisis is very much a story of our time, one that many of us are trying to make sense of, and so we're exploring theatrical tools that share the experience, that tell the story in new and exciting ways." Unquote. The upcoming workshop presentation at the Dairy Arts Center, running July 7 through July 22, greatly expands upon the work Harrison did with students at Sewanee. Square Product Theater has continued to work on its script in Zoom meetings with a variety of student and professional theater creators across America to expand Things We Will Miss into the company's first full-length original work since everything was stolen in 2019. Quote, I've loved seeing how this piece has evolved in the year since we began devising and getting everyone together in Boulder is going to send it in some incredible new directions, unquote, says Nathaniel Klein, an artist based in Madison, Wisconsin, who has worked on the project since its inception. Quote, Everyone has to put a little bit of, of themselves into the piece, and that kind of sharing is transformative." Unquote. The beauty of what could be. According to Harrison, Things We Will Miss has evolved a lot since its development at Swanee. Quote, I think the main difference between the original and what it's become now is that the original had a kind of heavy, depressing nature, and this one is much more optimistic, she says. We weren't willing to look on the bright side or consider that a brighter side could exist. Things We Will Miss is still serious, but I want people to know that it's not going to be a total downer." Unquote. 
In its mission to illuminate the climate crisis for audiences, Things We Will Miss incorporates text from other media into real-life stories to help make the play more engrossing. Quote, It's a combination of devised and found text, Harrison says. We draw from Twin Peaks, poetry, speeches from conferences at the United Nations, lines from previous plays we've produced, and Laurie Anderson songs, just kind of random shit that some people will recognize and some people will not, but everything connects back to this central theme, unquote. After performances at the Dairy, viewers are encouraged to offer feedback to the creative team, which they will use to improve and further develop the work. Quote, We're a Colorado-based company, so it just makes sense for us to premiere it here in Boulder and see how our audience responds, Harrison says. The goal is for us to keep working on it and do it again in other places. Since the production is still being workshopped, Harrison decided to include minimal technical elements. Keeping Things We Will Miss light on design allowed the creative team to easily make changes to their blocking and script. Quote, It is easier to change things around in the development when you don't have a lot of SH, Harrison says. We have some handheld lights we are playing with, and the costume will be simple clothes you would see in real life. The most active technical elements are the sound and projection design, which showcase the beautiful things that we will miss in the wake of the climate crisis, unquote. Ahead of the workshop's upcoming debut on July 7 at the Dairy's Carson Theater, Assistant Director Ermac Sagir says working on the show has offered an opportunity to reflect on the severity of the looming crisis and the power of the stage to affect social change. Quote, I learned so much from working on this show, Sagir says. It forced me to imagine what the future will look like, and it got me thinking a lot about theater's powerful word-building ability and how it can help people understand climate change. Theater has the power to show the world of destruction so you can see what to be afraid of as well as the beauty of what could be if we make a change, unquote. On stage, Things We Will Miss, Meditations on the Climate Crisis by Square Product Theater, 7.30 p.m. July 7 through 22, and 3 p.m. July 15, Carson Theater, Dairy Arts Center, 2590 Walnut Street in Boulder. Tickets are available at thedairy.org. Cuisine nibbles the Big Dipper. DQ disappointment begs the question, is there a tastier way to craft a chocolate ice cream shell? By John Lendorf, July 6, 2023. The muggy summer afternoon snapshot features a backseat crammed with bathing-clad siblings united in a desperate plea. Dairy Queen, please! Going out for ice cream as a kid was great, and my town was home to some fine scoop shops. But Dairy Queen occupied a separate category of chill pleasure, from Mr. Misty Floats to Banana Splits. Soft serve, with its silky texture and slightly warmer serving temperature, was superb. 
Free rainbow sprinkles up the ante, but I was there for the swirled ice cream dipped in a dark chocolate pool to create an instant hard shell. The first taste of a DQ dipped cone ranks right up there with buttered corn, field tomatoes, and ripe peaches on the summer palate playlist. Taste bud time travel. A food critic's life has introduced me to the joys of gelato, mochi, sorbet, kulfi, ices, and the whole artisan ice cream universe. But one recent sweaty boulder afternoon, I instinctively turned toward the Dairy Queen sign, memory winning over any gourmet pretensions. Stepping into that time warp again, I could have ordered a cherry-dipped or churros-dipped soft-serve cone, but chocolate-dipped won the day. As I sat down to snap a cell phone portrait, a small boy walked into Dairy Queen with an older relative. He stopped and gaped wide-eyed at my large chocolate-dipped cone. Quote, I want what he has, unquote, he says. I know exactly how that kid feels. Ice cream envy is a real thing. The first bite into the top of the cone was a perfect flashback, the familiar crack of the thin chocolate shell and the first lick of that super creamy soft serve. But halfway through the cone, I started noticing that the chocolate was not especially chocolatey. The sweet, waxy stuff is the same as seasonal chocolate coins, hollow Santa Clauses, and Easter bunnies. Soft serve ice cream is nostalgic, but pretty bland. By the time I bit into the last of the single note cake cone and melted ice cream, a thought balloon appeared above my head. Quote, how hard could it be to make something tastier? Unquote. DQ dipped doppelganger. Attempts have been made to bring the chocolate-dipped experience into home kitchens, including Smucker's Magic Shell. Unfortunately, it tastes the same as the DQ dip. For an education, read the ingredients on the side of the bottle. After a little research and experimentation, I discovered it is surprisingly easy to make chocolate-dipped ice cream that will earn you bonus points at family gatherings. The better the chocolate and ice cream, the tastier and more impressive the results will be. Start by melting roughly one and one quarter cups of finely chopped dark milk or white chocolate in a glass or metal bowl over a pan of simmering water. I used Kroger brand organic 70% dark chocolate bars on sale at King Supers. Avoid using the microwave. Add about three tablespoons of coconut oil to the liquefied chocolate. Grapeseed or another flavorless oil can be substituted. Add a little more oil if it is too thick to dip. Other ingredients can be added to the chocolate, including chopped freeze-dried strawberries or toasted nuts. For the ice cream, you could get all DIY and make your own. Just Google no-churn ice cream. I scooped local sweet cow ozo coffee ice cream. To dip the scoops, soften the ice cream, scoop, and then refreeze the scoops. Make sure they're frozen hard. To dip, use a fork to grab the scoop and dunk it in the chocolate, then pop it in a cone. For extra oomph, dip the cone in the chocolate first. 
If you spoon the coating over a scoop in a bowl, you can add grated chocolate, whipped cream, cherries, fresh pineapple, and bananas for a banana split effect. Events The Arts Hub presents Rock of Ages Friday, July 21, 7.30 p.m. Saturday, July 22, 2 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, July 23, 2.30 p.m. At the Arts Hub, 420 Courtney Way, Lafayette, Colorado, 303-229-1127. Price $18 to $28. Description. It's 1987 Hollywood, the era of big dreamers and even bigger hair. Wannabe rock star Drew and wannabe actress Sherry are two such dreamers. They both find themselves working at the legendary Bourbon Room, one of the last great rock and roll venues of the Sunset Strip, when a pair of German entrepreneurs barge into town with plans to redevelop it. Dennis and Lonnie, the managers of the Bourbon Room, must scramble to save their beloved club. Will the legendary Stacy Jacks, the rock and roll star who made it big at the Bourbon Room, step up to save the place? Or will Drew, Sherry, Dennis, and Lonnie have to take manners into their own hands? Featuring the music of hit bands Styx, Journey, Bon Jovi, Whitesnake, and more, this jukebox musical pays tribute to the great rock and roll musicians of the 1980s. This production is rated PG-13 for adult themes. About the Arts Hub. Located in Lafayette, Colorado, the Arts Hub is a nonprofit cultural arts center offering arts education programming for all ages. We are home to adult community theater, youth theater, summer camps, and after-school classes in art, music, dance, and theater. Come make memories with us. To get tickets, visit www.artshub.org. Events. Beer here, brewing the New West exhibit at the Museum of Boulder, Sunday, July 9, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., also Friday, July 7, 9 to 5, Saturday, July 8, 9 to 5. At the Museum of Boulder, 2205 Broadway, Boulder, Colorado, 303-449-3464. Price $0 to $10. The incredible exhibit originally developed by History Colorado is coming to Boulder. In five sections that span 1859 to the present, the exhibit explores Beer on the Mining Frontier, when immigrants planted mining towns during the gold rush, brewing an industry, how Colorado became the industrial hub of the Rocky Mountain West, prohibition, why the state went dry four years before national prohibition, Coors Country, where Coors Brewing Company and Ball Corporation contributed to Colorado's economy and culture, the rise of craft, when the connection grew between the rising outdoor recreation and brewing industries, 
Beer Here will feature stories from the past, present, and future, as well as more than 160 authentic artifacts from Colorado's beer and brewing history, connecting time periods. Some of the most compelling objects include a Denver Brewers Union card from 1888, written entirely in German because that was the language most brewers spoke at the time. Adolf Coors' original hand-drawn sketch of his first beer label on loan from the Coors Archive, a massive wooden bottle smasher used by the Denver Police Department during Prohibition, beer brewing equipment then and now, the nation's first recyclable aluminum beer cans pioneered by Coors, a KKK hood and membership manual to illustrate the hate group's growth during Prohibition, Coors Pottery, Tom's Tavern Booth, and Memorabilia. Sound bites from Charlie Papazian Oral History. Other artifacts from Colorado's Hoppy History. Also, museum visitors will be able to see and smell the ingredients Coors uses to make its beer inside the exhibit and outside in the beer ingredient garden. Since beer is not allowed inside the gallery to protect some rare and important artifacts, the museum will feel, feature an immersive gallery where beer may be served. This exhibit's development was generously supported by the Ball Corporation and Coors Brewing Company and brought to Boulder thanks to a gift from Kathy and Brian Spear. Call 303-449-3464 for information. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.